Tonight, we're talking about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. This is session two. Last week was obviously session one, where we talked about the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It was an introduction, and we went over all kinds of things. In systematic theology, they call this the doctrine of pneumatology. And so I only covered pieces of what you would typically learn in a systematic theology class. So we're going to continue to dive deeper. In specific, we want to talk about the baptism with the Spirit. Sometimes it's referred to as the baptism of power. And I want to ask you a question. It's rhetorical, but I want you to consider it. When I say baptism with the Holy Spirit, how many of you understand what I mean? When I say baptism of the Holy Spirit, how many of you know for sure that you are baptized with the Holy Spirit? And my last question is, how many of you feel like you can explain the baptism with the Holy Spirit to someone else? Well, after tonight, I want to make sure, if possible, that you could say yes to all three of those questions. That's my goal. If you want to know my goal, there it is. My hope in this lesson is for us not only to hear about it, talk about it, but to also experience him. In John chapter 14, before Jesus' death and resurrection, it's right around the corner, he said this to his disciples in verse 16. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. And this, of course, he was talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus did not clarify how he will be with us, but he did say that he would be with us. And when Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, he's talking about in like kind, like me. The Father will give you another helper, like me. And I think there's a lot of confusion when we talk about the ministry of the Spirit because Jesus here says, the Spirit of God is going to come when I go. And he actually goes as far as saying that it's better that I go so that the Holy Spirit comes. And we would ask the question, what would be better than having Jesus physically with us? But Jesus said there's something better, and that is that the Holy Spirit would come. And in John 16, he says the Holy Spirit will come, and he will be in you, and he will be upon you. And it's two terms that are referenced here in the book of John. And we're going to find these terms throughout the book of Acts, and I want to show you that the Holy Spirit does many different things. And we often get confused when people say baptism with the Holy Spirit because of the word baptism. And I think as we go through this, some things will just sort of click. But before we focus on the baptism with the Spirit, let me back up a little bit and talk to you about the first work of the Spirit in our lives. And that's what we call regeneration. The Holy Spirit regenerates us. According to John chapter 16, what he first does is he convicts us. He says the Holy Spirit will come and he will convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So he's at work convicting us and convincing us what? That we need a savior. And Jesus is the one who was a perfect savior. He died in our place for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could be connected with our heavenly father again that our relationship with God could be restored. Jesus paid that price. The Holy Spirit convicts us that we have sin, that we need forgiveness, that Jesus is a perfect savior, that he is the solution for our problem, and he leads us to Christ. And we know that when we come to Christ, we are born again. 
And when we're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. Sometimes in Pentecostal churches, and these are certain denominations, not ours, but they actually teach that if you don't speak in tongues or you're not baptized with the Spirit, that you're not actually a Christian, that you're not saved. Well, obviously that's erroneous teaching and that's error. We don't believe that. We've never taught that. Nobody in our denomination of 90,000 churches believes that, nor do they teach that. It's just not a real doctrine. But there are people that believe that, which means there's a lot of confusion. And so we make sure to teach that the first thing the Holy Spirit does is convict us of sin. And then when we come to Jesus, we receive him as Lord and Savior, and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. That's what regeneration is. He makes us alive. According to Ephesians chapter two and verse five, it says that we are dead in our sins and our transgressions. We are dead, which means we are in need to be made alive. And that's what the Holy Spirit does when we believe upon Christ. Look what Jesus said in John chapter three and verse three. He says this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom. Now, obviously there was an interaction there with, that we don't have time for, but some would reference this as born from above or born again. This is made alive. If we are not made alive in Christ, we cannot even see the kingdom. We can't know God. We're not forgiven. We don't have the Holy Spirit. But when we are born again, we have the Holy Spirit. Paul has different language and he says this in Ephesians 1 verse 13. He says, in him, this is Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, listen to this, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. What's he talking about? He's saying, when you give your life to Jesus, you are given the Holy Spirit. He comes to live inside of you and he seals you as a pledge, a pledge toward fullness. What's fullness? Is that there is coming a day where we're literally going to live in the fullness of God's physical, real presence. And so right now we've been given a measure of the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit cries out, Abba, Father, and gives witness to us and through us that we are God's children. And this is why we hate sin, even if we do it. This is why we wanna follow Jesus and we're compelled toward him. All of those are indications that you and I are his. But he's talking about a pledge of inheritance with a view to the redemption. This is the full redemption. It's that physical redemption when Jesus returns. We first recognize the work of sp the Spirit in salvation as supernatural throughout his entire process. And here's what you need to know. We believe that you are first born again and you receive the Holy Spirit. But we also believe there's a distinct experience separate from salvation called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes people act like these are one in the same thing. And the reason that they do is usually Ephesians chapter four talks about there is one Lord and one faith and one baptism. And this is just simply a reference where Paul is saying that we believe in the same God. When you look up the word baptism in the, in the concordance and you study every verse where it says baptism, you just have to understand that the word baptism is just a description. 
Like it means to immerse, saturate, fully cover, to dip. It is a description word. It describes an experience. I could take my chicken and baptize it in barbecue sauce. For some of you, makes you hungry, you like chicken. It describes an experience, but it does not mean the same thing every time you look it up in the Bible. When you read the word baptism here or there, it's describing an experience and there are different baptisms. There's baptism in water. There's baptism with the Holy Spirit. I believe there's a baptism with fire. There's different baptisms. It's describing a different experience. Every now and again, I talk to somebody about the baptism with the Holy Spirit, and they think we're talking about water baptism because there's obviously a different baptism. There's a different immersion. There's a different dip. There's a different saturation, if, if, as it were. It's a description of an experience. But we believe the Bible shows us that the disciples were saved or sealed or they had the Holy Spirit before they were baptized with the Spirit. Now look with me in John 20, and this is verse 21. And this is after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus said to them again, he comes to the disciples. He said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I also am sending you. Now I could make a case for the sending of Jesus was through the power of the spirit. I could make a case for that, but I don't have time. And he says, and when he said this, listen, he breathed on them and he said this, listen, this is very important. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. This word receive means to receive into yourself. Receive into yourself the Holy Spirit. And they did. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins are forgiven. If you retain the sins, they have been retained. Now, do you remember in Genesis chapter two, verse seven? Of course you do, because you study your Bible every day for hours on end. But in case it just sort of is not looping around in your mind, let me go ahead and settle it for you. In Genesis 2, 7, the Bible says that God out of the dust of the earth fashioned man. He fashioned Adam. And then it says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Remember the word breath? That word breath is ruach in in Hebrew. It's pneuma in Greek. And it means breath. It's spirit. It's the same word, spirit, breath. He breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. And it says he became a living soul. Genesis 2, 7, that's the creation. You could say John 20, 21 is the recreation. When Jesus breathed, they absolutely, we are absolutely supposed to be reminded of Genesis 2. He's breathing into them saying, receive into yourself the Holy Spirit. And so it, it would be my theology and belief that the disciples are saved and sealed at this point with the Holy Spirit, that they are believers. Clearly the resurrected Christ is standing in front of them. They see him, they believe upon him, they receive the Holy Spirit. This is what happens. Jesus was born of the Spirit And then in Matthew 4, he was baptized with the power of the Spirit. And we too go through the same thing. Not in the same way because we are not the Messiah like he was. We are not God the Son as he was. But we are born of the Spirit and we are also baptized with the Holy Spirit in a different way. So what is the baptism with the Holy Spirit? I'm so glad that you asked that question. As wonderful as regeneration is, being saved really is, It is not all that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. John the Baptist said this about the forthcoming ministry of Jesus, Matthew chapter three and verse 11. He says, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. Listen, he will baptize you, immerse, saturate, fully cover, dip you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
Jesus is the baptizer. The Holy Spirit is the element. If you've been baptized at Northwest Church, you know that behind this uh, door right here, we open it up and there's a, there's a big, it's not a pool, but it's a huge hot tub type tub. And you get into the waters and it's full with water. And it might be Pastor Scott or myself or one of our pastors. We are the baptizer. The water is the element, but the Holy Spirit is the validator of the experience of that step of obedience. And so Jesus of this experience is the baptizer. The Holy Spirit is the element, just like the water when we water baptize someone. He says, there is one coming and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And this word baptism must be understood. And when you do a study in the Bible and you break open your concordance, just remember the word is meant to describe an experience. It doesn't mean the same thing every time. How do I know that? Because I just showed you there were two baptisms. There was one in water and he said there's one with the Holy Spirit. Did you know there's more than that? Why? Because it's a word that describes another experience. Actually, we could use the word baptize over different things. I don't recommend it because you might get confused, but we could. It's a description word. Everybody with me? Because I'll keep going over it, Matt. After the disciples had received the Holy Spirit in John 20, 21, Jesus said this to them, Acts 1, chapter 1 and verse 4. Listen, gathering them together, Jesus commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. Well, what did he promise? We just read it in Matthew 3, that the Holy Spirit would, would come. Jesus would baptize them with the Holy Spirit. He said, you have heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him saying, Lord, is it at this time you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs or the times or hours which the Holy Spirit or which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But listen, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even Federal Way, Washington. Jesus told them they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit and would receive power and that they would be witnesses. The word power in Greek is the word dunamis and it means power to do miracles according to Kettle's Bible dictionary. It means power to do miracles like Jesus did. And if Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit, how much more do we need the power of the Holy Spirit? The purpose of the baptism is to be a witness of Jesus. Jesus does not let them go until they receive his power. He said, do not go, wait in Jerusalem, but when you receive, do not stay, please go. When you get what you need, go out and be a witness of me. And friend, I wanna tell you, being a witness of Jesus is not about your personality, whether you're an extrovert or you're an introvert. It's not about your gifts, your skills, your history, your experience, your Bible memorization, how great of a person you are, how good looking you are. That is not what it depends on because if it is, it's not a good job. This is not a good deal if it depends on us. Jesus said, I'm gonna give you something that will get the job done. And it's my power. And if you wait, you're gonna get it. And when you get it, make sure you spread it as far as you can. And they did. And we too need the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is an activation of the ministry of Jesus. When we receive the Holy Spirit 
for salvation, for regeneration. That is, he lives inside of us. He makes us alive. He makes us a child of God. We're born again. But what we're talking about tonight is an activation of the life of Jesus through our lives to minister to other people. And so that's what we want. That's what we need. And so whenever we preach about evangelism or, hey, you need to share the gospel and you should go share with your neighbors and you should go talk about Jesus. Come on, half of us in the room are like, oh my gosh, Pastor Ben, what are you talking about? You know how hard that is. I don't enjoy talking to other people. I'm not extroverted. And all of that might be true, naturally speaking. Naturally speaking, Humanly speaking, you and I are not going to convince people to come to Christ. Amen. There's no way. It's not about how smart you are. There's power when we give the message. There's power when we talk to people. Our words are freighted with heaven. How many of you know if we're actually going to lead people to Christ, we're going to need to be more than ourselves? Yeah. And thank God that he gave us more than ourselves. That, this is what this is about. Sometimes I give this silly illustration, which I unashamedly am going to share with you right here in this moment. Have you ever received a credit card in the mail? Now, let's just pretend you wanted it, all right? (laughs) So you get a credit card. On the front of the credit card, there's a little sticker, and the sticker says, call 1-800-ACTIVATE-ME or whatever. And you know that you can't use that credit card to purchase anything until you do what? Until you call that number. Now, don't mess up my illustration by saying all you got to do is use them today. Don't, don't, if you're an elect, don't do that, okay? Let's just pretend it's a year ago and you still had to call the number. You call the number 1-800-ACTIVATE-ME. When you do that, when you call the number, you take the sticker off and now you can use the card. But until you activate the card, all you have is the potential of a $20,000 credit line. You have the potential of buying power. See, you have the potential of being able to do something. You have the potential of being able to buy something. But unless you activate that card, you can't use what it has potential for. And this is what I want to say about our lives as well. The baptism with the Holy Spirit is an activation of what God has made available to us. And when we get activated, this is when we can go and do what Jesus talks about. So when we read scriptures in the Bible, we don't have to go, oh man, that's so hard. The only reason we say it's hard is because we're relying on ourself. The only reason it seems impossible is because we're looking at ourself. The only reason that we would be discouraged is because we keep thinking about our own strength. But if you're thinking about what God can do through your life and through my life, then we can read this Bible and we can get excited and we can know God can do what we can't do. And that's what we love about walking with the Lord. It isn't about us. In fact, this is his whole thing. This is his mission. It's all on him. The pressure is off us. Isn't that awesome? All we got to do is share and he will save. All we have to do is pray and he'll do the miracle. If we do our part, God will do. When I was I've told you this story before. I'm going to tell you again. When I was 19, I got radically saved. Uh, I, won't, I won't go into that. Six months later, perhaps, I was at a Bible study with, with my friend. We started a Bible study in the book of Matthew. We got caught up in the genealogy of Jesus. And it was honestly confusing. I, I can tell you, people were like, we were so excited about Jesus that we were reading through the book of Matthew, but we got caught up in like the moons and the genealogy and all this the Magi and who they were. And anyways, I don't recommend it, but we, 
we were getting together and we were going to church like a couple times a week. And, and if, the church, if church doors were open, we were going. We, did, we didn't really even care what kind of church it was. We, we ended up at all kinds of places. It was sort of dangerous, but we had a smile on our face and we came out of darkness. We came into light. It was, it was glorious. One of our friends was in prison for about a year and a half. He gets out of prison and he meets with us and he came to our church and we ended up going to his as well. We come back to our, uh, my friend's house. We're doing this Bible study and Matthew, he was probably thoroughly confused because he was in prison for a year and a half. He had a lot of time to read the Bible and he thought we were, you know, confused. So at some point he stopped us as we were going off and he said, hey, do you know what the baptism with the Holy Spirit is? And I grew up hearing my parents, uh, my dad in particular, pray in tongues sometimes. And so I was kind of like, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I know what that is, or at least I know what tongues are, which is not necessarily the same thing, but that's what, I, that's what I could remember. So I promptly was like, yeah, kind of, because I wanted to act like I knew something. Well, there was about five or six of us in the room, and he started talking to us about being baptized with the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues and all this kind of stuff. And, and that, was, that was awesome. But uh, we were just really hungry. And so we said, hey, well, why don't you pray? So he just started to pray and he started to pray in this heavenly language. And it was honestly awesome because he had this real deep voice and he started praying in tongues and it was just, he just felt God all over it. But no joke, I was sitting in a chair from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. I felt like this low level electricity go through my body. And it happened for like 30 minutes. I mean, it was quite an experience. Now, some people don't have this kind of experience. So I'm not trying to paint it as something sci-fi. But what I am saying is this is what happened to me. Now, I was already excited about Jesus. I was already sharing the gospel with people. I thought I was, had everything that I needed, just needed to read the Bible more and get more mature. But I had an experience with, with God. And that was the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I mean, I went to DEFCON 5. I really did. I mean, I, want, I wanted to do nothing but serve the Lord. And actually that's what plummeted me out of my business communications and web development uh, program that I was in because I started sitting, I was at uh, Shoreline Community College and I was sitting in the class and I'm looking around and I, I felt like Bill Gates were all around me and I wasn't one of them. You know, I'm like, why am I in this class? And I, all I wanted to do was reach these people, but I didn't want to pay $350 a class to do it. You know, I was like, I'd probably sit outside and not pay for the class. And do. I knew God had called me to something else. And he had, he had really empowered me at this time. And so I was really excited about Jesus. And so now I wanted everybody to, to know. And at the time I didn't speak in tongues, but I began to see in the spirit. And I can only explain it like this. Like I would look at someone and I would just begin to see. And it, it was like God would open my spiritual eyes. It didn't happen every second, didn't happen every day, but it would happen, especially as I learned to pray. As I learned to pray, I would see visions. I would dream dreams. Acts chapter two talks about seeing visions and dreaming dreams. And I begin to dream dreams. I begin to see visions. I started to have a sense like discernment. All of a sudden there was an activation of spiritual gifts. The supernatural was activated in my, in my life powerfully. Now, I didn't understand how to manage and walk this out at all. And so it was definitely a hot mess. But by God's grace, he led me to the right people at the right time to learn how to function in, uh, in the work of the Spirit. And I knew at that point I was baptized. Now, I have prayed for I don't know how many people to be baptized with the Holy Spirit in addition 
to them receiving salvation. First things first, I always pray for people to come to Christ, to give their whole hearts to him, to repent from their sin and to receive his forgiveness in Jesus' name and that they would be sealed for the day of redemption. That's the most important thing. That's the most important miracle. But after that, I also believe that if we're not baptized with the power of God, we are not going to be great witnesses of Christ. This is not only my experience, this is what I believe the Bible teaches. And so you're wondering, what are the scriptural examples of the baptism with the Holy Spirit? Thank you for sharing your experience, Pastor Ben, but what does the Bible teach? And I'm so glad that you asked. We see here in Mark chapter one and verse nine, if you don't mind, I'm just gonna go through them all. So you gotta get ready for a lot of Bible. Did you come here for the Bible tonight? I hope you did. Because I, I need to instruct you on this. So do not tune out. This would be a bad time for you to tune out. It might be feel boring. It is not. Okay. Do not tune out. We're going to go through these together because there's too much confusion and there's too much at stake for us to tune out right now. So please do not. I'm not going to try to inspire you. I'm going to try to instruct you. And the word of God is the way we do that. Mark chapter one and verse nine. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove, not a dove, but like a dove was descending upon him. Upon him, that word, everybody say upon. That word is very key, not in, upon. Now this is indicative of the anointing that we see in the Old Testament. The spirit would come upon someone and then they would be able to do what God wanted them to do. The spirit in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant did not indwell anyone, right? Nobody was born again under the Old Covenant, but the spirit would come upon them in power. And look what happens to Jesus. The spirit comes upon him and a voice out of the heavens, you are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. Immediately, the spirit impelled him, compelled him to go into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Now listen to this. Jesus had not done one miracle. He had not healed one person until after this experience. Why? because it was at this point that he was baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus was God the Son. We have a Trinitarian theology. Make no mistake what I'm teaching here. Jesus was God the Son, but he put himself in a place where he was walking out life before the Father. And this is, to me, it's a mystery. I don't fully understand it, but he showed us an example. It was for our sake. He was born of a virgin, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and she conceived. Jesus was born of the Spirit and Jesus here was baptized with the power of the Spirit. This is essential. And it shows us that right after he was baptized with the Holy Spirit, he was led into the wilderness and he comes out in the power of the Spirit. Now, this is just one example. It's not the full example and it's not even a great one, but it's just one. Acts chapter two. This is after Jesus had told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem. Now they're waiting in Jerusalem. And this is the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost had come, verse one, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from where? Heaven. It's the same place where it says what? When Jesus was baptized with the spirit, what did it say? The heavens opened. Look what it says here. It says, suddenly there came from heaven, a noise like a violent rushing wind, and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, wind and fire, indicative of the spirit in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Exodus. And these rested on each one of them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with other tongues. The word tongues 
Uh, the original language word would be languages. That's a better word. We don't use the word tongues. You don't say that to anybody at the store. You don't use the word tongues, okay? You say languages. Like I speak in, I'm, I, I'm multi-tongued. You say I'm multi, multilingual. You, you, so it's an unfortunate translation. They haven't let go of it yet in the New American. But anyways, it, it does just mean languages. They begin to speak with other languages as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, we know the disciples had already received the Holy Spirit for salvation. When they were baptized with the Spirit, it says they spoke in tongues and they praised God publicly, prophetically. The word tongues means that they, what, what they received in this context were based on 13 different dialects that other people could understand. Now, if, if let's say in this section, there were 13 different languages that we could speak. I'm sure there's some in our church. We have many different languages that are spoken and can be spoken. But let's just say in this middle section, there were 13 different languages that could be spoken. And all of a sudden, this 120, uh, this 120 believers receive the power of the Holy Spirit. They're baptized and they begin to speak with other languages. And there were 13 dialects that were spoken out of these 120 people. I mean, would you agree that's pretty supernatural? Obviously, this was indicative of God moving in power. And so this is what is referenced as speaking in tongues. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And when they prayed, this is when the believers were together, they prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak the word of God boldly. Now, someone might say this doesn't mean that they were baptized with the Spirit, but what you'll notice is the word baptize, when we're talking about the Spirit, and filled, Luke, who wrote Acts, begins to use these terms synonymously. And that's not just something that I'm saying to you. There are a lot of commentators, particularly Pentecostal commentators, that agree that when he says filled with or baptized with, he's really talking about something similar. So these are synonymous terms because we saw it in Acts 2. We're seeing it now in Acts 4.31. What was the evidence of them being filled or baptized with the Spirit? It says they spoke the word of God with boldness. And so now we have a diversity of things that start to happen when the Holy Spirit comes with power. This may not be a great representation, but it certainly is, I think, an example. Acts chapter 8, verse 14. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For they had not yet, he had not yet fallen upon. Everybody say upon. Theologically, this is a different, people debate over this, but there's a difference between having the Holy Spirit living in you and having this Holy Spirit come upon you. So he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. What does this mean, received? It doesn't mean that they received the Holy Spirit like they didn't have him, but received the Holy Spirit in the same manner for which we are talking about, which is upon them. So the assumption here is that the Samaritan believers or the Samaritans were believers at this point and the external evidence is not mentioned. So after they were baptized with the Spirit, we do not know what happened. It does not say, but we can infer that something external took place because there's a man named Simon. You might know him as Simon the sorcerer. He saw the apostles lay hands on these people. Something must have happened because he wanted to give them money to purchase the power to see the same thing happen in his own ministry. And that did not work out well for him. You can read that rest of the book of Acts chapter eight. But something must have occurred, some type of evidence. We don't know what it was. Some people will say it must have been tongues, but you can't say that because it's an argument from silence. We do not know. 
Acts chapter 9 and verse 17. It says, Ananias departed and entered the house after laying his hands on him. This is Saul. This is when Saul had been struck down on the road to Damascus. And it says that his eyes were basically like fried and there were like scales on his eyes. And he's sitting there blind waiting for someone to come pray. So Ananias comes and prays and says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he regained his sight and he got up and he was baptized. That's water baptized. And he took food and he was strengthened. Now it's safe to assume that he was baptized with the Holy Spirit right here. He already believed because the Bible tells us before this in great description that he had not only been brought to this man's house, but that he was waiting for Ananias to come because he had seen in a vision. And now he knows that Jesus is Lord because he had asked who, were the, who was the one speaking to him. And Jesus said, it is I, the Lord, Jesus. And so he's saved, he's believing upon the risen Christ, and in this particular moment, he is baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, it doesn't tell us that he prophesied or he spoke the word of God with boldness or he spoke in tongues. It gives us no external evidence for what happened after he was prayed for, but we do know that he became perhaps the greatest apostle that has ever walked the earth. So let's just go ahead and give him that. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Everybody breathe, we're almost done. We've done really good, we're almost finished. <clears throat> but you can see why this is important to go through all of these, right? There's a lot of confusion. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Now, Peter was, this, there's a whole visionary experience that happens here prior to the verse I'm gonna read to you. But Peter, by revelation, knew that he was to go with whoever knocked on his door. And so he is brought to the house of a man named Cornelius who had had an angelic visitation. And so as Peter comes to that house, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, these words are the gospel of Jesus. The Holy Spirit fell upon, everybody say upon. Those who were listening to the message and all the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed. All the Jews were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. They were speaking with other languages. They were having a power encounter. Acts chapter 19, the final one, verse two. He said to them, this is, this is where the, the, one of the apostles comes down and begins to speak to uh, those that were in Ephesus. Uh, this is what happens. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we have not heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Sometimes when you get saved, you feel this way. You don't know how to explain the Trinity. You don't know there is a Holy Spirit. There are a lot of people I've led to the Lord. They don't know anything. They were, didn't grow up in church. So it's safe to assume that these are Gentile believers and they don't have any theology about the Holy Spirit. People debate this stuff like, oh, they must not have been saved. No, they were saved. They just didn't have theology. No, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who was coming after, that is in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. So they're believers, they're baptized. And then separately, when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men. So here we have salvation and baptism with the Holy Spirit. And what you find is there's always something that happens when people are baptized with the Holy Spirit. This was not just what happened in Acts 2. This happened again and again and again, and what we have is instruction and understanding of why 
I've already talked to you about the why, to be witness, witnesses of Jesus. So just real quickly, what happens when people are baptized? We already talked about it. I'm just gonna go over it real quickly. Number one, people speak in tongues. And this is twofold. We have teachings on this, quite a few actually, about the difference between speaking in a known dialect or a known tongue, this would be a language, and also a heavenly language, 1 Corinthians 13 and 14. I have some scriptures for you there. But they speak in a heavenly language or they speak in a tongue that is not known to them or perhaps the person that they are speaking to uh, hears in their own language. They also prophesy, number two. This happens two out of the three times. And by the way, they speak in tongues three out of the six recorded examples that I shared with you. So three out of the six times they spoke in tongues. Two out of the, two out of the three of those six, they prophesied. By the way, prophecy is evidence of the Holy Spirit. This is something we know because only prophets, priests, kings, and judges under the old covenant were the ones that heard the voice of God. These are the only ones that represented God in such a way by receiving the anointing and speaking from the Lord. And this is why in Acts chapter two, it says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall do what? Prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. If you ever hear somebody talk about God wants to give you a vision for your life and then references Acts 2, please, like in your mind, slap them, not like physically. This is not about like having a vision for your life or for your marriage. It's a reference to Old Testament prophets. They actually had real visions, like visionary experiences. They would see visions. This is an incredible revelation because now God is doing for the average believer what he only did for prophets, priests, kings, and judges under the old covenant. And this is incredible. We have access to what only a select few used to experience. This is, this is incredible. This is, everybody smile. Just smile. You should be smiling. So we prophesy. Number three, we become bold witnesses of Jesus. This is where Peter is turned from a cowardice man to a courageous man. The difference between his cowardice and his courage was the baptism with the Holy Spirit. What does Peter do right after he's baptized with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2? He gets up and says, this is that. This is the same guy that denied Jesus in front of a few people that we don't even know their names. I don't even know Jesus. And now all of a sudden he's preaching in front of 3,000 people. What happened? The Holy Spirit. Maybe he was an introvert. And all of a sudden, as a preacher, he's an extrovert. And he might've gone back to introvert right after his preaching. I don't know, but I'm just saying that like, he went from a coward to courageous and it wasn't because he had a good day. It wasn't because he was feeling a certain way. It wasn't because he drank his nitro cold brew. It was because the Holy Spirit baptized him with power. Amen. We minister in the supernatural power of God, number four. And this, friends, we, we must understand. The supernatural of God is as much a reality today as it has always been but much of the church does not believe this. Now, I'm not here to bash the church of Jesus. It is his church. It is not, it, I mean, I'm a part of it, but it is not my church. It's his church. But there are a lot of people who do not believe in the supernatural power of God. They do not pray for the supernatural power of God. They do not pray that God would do the things today that he used to always do. In fact, there are a lot of people that just don't pray. And we believe that God wants to move in power today. This is why we pray. This is why we come, many of us come early to services because we're crying out to the same God that we're reading about. And we know that God still does today what he has always done. That's why we pray. 
We pray to a mighty God. We pray to a holy God. And we can minister in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. This is where spiritual gifts get released in our life. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Romans 12, Ephesians chapter 4. We're talking about the ministries and the gifts of God that he gives to his church to steward for his glory, to build up the body of Christ and to reveal a living Christ to the world. Aren't you glad tonight that Jesus didn't just leave the mission in our hands by natural means? Aren't you grateful that it isn't just up to us and our good day because we're so Fickle, are we not? Come on, we're hesitant, we're reluctant, but when the power of the Spirit touches us, it's amazing what God will do, what God will do. And we know this because we see it throughout the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is not just descriptive of what has happened. I believe, and I don't care if theologians disagree with me, I believe it is prescriptive because we have no other blueprint for how the church of Jesus should live in the days that we're living. We look back on the Bible and we say, this is not just descriptive. I understand it's a narrative. I get the genre of literature, but I also believe that what we see in this book is what we go after in Christ today. So here's my prayer for Northwest Church. I pray that 100% of every person that walks through the doors of this church gets baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I'm unashamed about that. I'm unashamed that we believe in speaking in tongues. I don't want to be weird or strange or I don't want, you know, just us to walk around and speak in tongues to each other and laugh about it and be dumb. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about us knowing how to handle the gifts of the Spirit. They're tools, they are not toys. I'm talking about us crying out for other people to experience Jesus because you and I are filled with God's spirit. I'm not talking about us being powerful. I'm talking about us being filled with power so that we can represent him better. This is what we're talking about. I don't wanna just be a powerful person. I don't wanna exalt power. I wanna exalt Jesus. And I believe we need power to do it because that's what Jesus said. I just think if we're going to be a great witness of Christ, we're gonna need the same power that Christ functioned by. That's what we believe. And so we minister in the supernatural power of God. So how do we receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit? In just a few short minutes, I will tell you. Number one, you have to give your life to Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus, and if you're watching this online or you're watching this um, in one of our classes, or if you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, you cannot be baptized with the Spirit until you are His. You have to belong to Jesus. So that's number one. You receive forgiveness of your sins, eternal life in His name, and you're with Him forevermore. Nothing is greater than that. Number two, you understand what the baptism with the Holy Spirit is. I've prayed for a lot of people to be baptized with the Spirit. Sometimes when people come forward to receive the baptism with the Spirit, what they really want is to get free from some addiction in their life, right? Because there comes a conviction and we know like something isn't right between us and God. Well, friend, I am no priest. I can't mediate between you and God. Jesus is, is the only one that can, right? The Bible says there is only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So Jesus died in our place for the forgiveness of our sins. If you're not right with God and you love Jesus, get right with God by asking for forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You cannot ask a man to do that for you. Now I can partner with you. You can confess your sins to someone and that's healthy 
and we pray for each other that we might be healed, but it is not necessary that we do that in order to be right with God. We have to confess our sins to God and receive forgiveness from Jesus. But what I have learned is when I offer invitations to be baptized with the Spirit, which I have done in many churches, and I could say a hundred probably, I'll have people walk up and they're like, I just really need to get free. And, and I'm like, did you hear what was said about the baptism with the Holy Spirit? And they said, oh yeah, absolutely. I just want it. I just want it, whatever, it is, whatever he wants to do. And I'm like, it's <laughs> not whatever he wants to do. This is not some cheap thing we're talking about here. Friend, you understand like people, the 120 believers that were waiting in the upper room, it says that they were waiting on God. They were waiting for something to happen specifically so that they could receive the power to be a witness. And they were already right with God. They were in a posture of prayer. They were seeking God. They were asking of God. It wasn't like coming up and saying, well, I just want you know, every, everything to happen. We all do. And maybe we need tonight, maybe we need to receive prayer for freedom, freedom from a bondage, freedom from an addiction, deliverance for something in our life. But it is not the same as the baptism with the Holy Spirit. When we come to be baptized with the Spirit, we are saying, I wanna receive his power because tomorrow I wanna wake up and be a witness of Christ. We come before God and we say, I'm kind of scared. I'm fearful. I'm not living in the power of God. I don't want to tell people that I'm a Christian. Ben, you talk to me about inviting people to church. I don't want to invite nobody to church, Ben. And so we come up for the baptism with the spirit so that we can receive his strength, his fortitude, that inner power that he gives to us and upon us so that we can be a witness of Christ. Now, if you're an introvert, it's not going to change. You're still going to be an introvert. This is not like a holy extroversion. This is not, it's the ability in who you are, where you are to do what he wants, to do what he wants, amen? So you can be an introvert, you can be an extrovert, but here's what I'm trying to say. You have to let go of all the escape routes. Now, seriously, if I'm irritating you right now, let go of that, let go of it right now. Let, seriously, let go of it. I'm, I'm wanna, I wanna say something to you because I've, I've seen this happen a lot. I've seen a lot of believers have so many escape routes. Oh, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I mean, we say all of these things. None of that matters. What matters is you and I, whoever we are, wherever we are, and however he chooses can represent Jesus in the way that he's called us to. And the question that I have for you, and I don't want you to answer it out loud, please. The question I have is, are you representing Jesus in the way that you know he's called you to? Okay, if your answer is no, and it should be, because there's more, okay, everybody say there's more, then there should be a hunger in you and a hunger in me like we have never known. When you know there's more and you hear that there's more available, we should run. We should run. I don't know how to properly compel you. I'm not asking you to run up front. I'm saying we should run. I'm always concerned about somebody that's not hungry because it's, they act like there's not more. Friend, there's more. It's not just that we get baptized with the Spirit, it's that we stay filled with, Ephesians 5 says, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Number one prayer, you wake up in the morning, fill me with the Holy Spirit, help me to glorify Jesus. And then pray in the Spirit, if you have a spiritual language. If you don't, we can pray about that tonight. So my point is, you have to understand what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. Do you know what we're talking about? Have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Have you received that activation of his power in your life? You have to say yes. If you're not sure, I, I, don't, I don't want you to be okay with that. If, if you're not sure, I always tell people, if you're not sure, don't be okay with that. 
You can be sure. He can make sure that you're sure. Number three, you ask God to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You don't need me to lay hands on you. We can have a mass baptism with the Spirit tonight. Right now, we can all stand up in just a moment, not yet, but in a moment, and we can ask the Holy Spirit to come, and He will. He will. It doesn't have to happen through someone. It happens through the Holy Spirit. Ask Him to baptize you with the Spirit. Contend over it. If it hasn't happened, contend. War with it. If you're worried or concerned or wondering or, or you, you, it, it bothers you that maybe you feel like it hasn't happened, fight. War. Don't let anything discourage you. I prayed for six months because I thought maybe perhaps my friend told me I wasn't baptized with the Spirit because I didn't speak in tongues yet. Now, this might mess with your theology. I, that's fine. But I knew I was baptized in the Spirit because I was a witness of Jesus. But I didn't have this type of evidence what some would call the initial evidence or an initial evidence. I didn't have that yet. But I prayed for six months and then finally I realized speaking in tongues was actually really easy. But I was making it a big deal because I wanted God to do it for me, you know, and that's the problem. Yeah, he doesn't go to the store for me either. He's not gonna make you pray in tongues. He's gonna enable you to speak with a heavenly language. He does not force anybody to do that. Just like I can't force you to your knees to pray to God tonight, I, will not, I cannot do that. But he enables you. He gives you the ability to pray in the Spirit. And the minute I recognized that, the minute it came to my, oh, I can pray in the Spirit because he has enabled me. He's allowed me to do this. And I begin to step out and pray syllables. And I felt silly. I felt like a child, but I got over it. I just got over it. And the fourth one is you respond to the working of the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of what I'm sharing with this. And I'll, I'm closing right now is that sometimes people say, do you have to pray? Do you have to pray in tongues to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? It's not about praying in tongues. It's about receiving power to be a witness. There are a lot of tongue talkers that are not good witnesses of Jesus. They speak in tongues a lot. Sometimes they're very annoying, but they've never reached anybody in their life. Now you tell me, you think it's really okay to not be a witness of Jesus, but speaking, I mean, I'm, listen, we got to believe for more than that. I know that there's old the, uh, Pentecostal doctrine that teaches that. Foursquare doesn't. Our, our church, our denomination does. Some do, but we, we, but anybody can speak in tongues. Anybody can pray in the Holy Spirit. And as far as I can tell, three out of the six times that people were baptized with the Holy Spirit, it happened. Two out of the six, they prophesied. Every time they were a witness of Christ. So here's my theology, is that speaking in tongues often is accompanied with the baptism with the Holy Spirit. But in my case and many others, it, it, it isn't. And that doesn't mean they're not baptized with the Holy Spirit. What it means is, is that the Lord will enable them to pray with other tongues or heavenly language. And here's what I want to say to you. If you've never had the release of a heavenly language in your life, I want to simplify this for you. Are you ready? You should, nobody said yes. <laughs> I want to simplify this for you. If it's weird to you, I want to tell you, it's not weird. There are a lot of things in life that are weird. This is not one of them. It's simple. God gave us something simple like this that we would trust him. And a lot of us want him to do, some of you who are intellectual, you want God to do it for you. You do not want it to be fake. You want it to be authentic. I respect that. I, I respect you because that's, what I, that's why I contended for six months. And I was told by some friends I was stubborn. <laughs> like, you're just not surrendering. I'm like, I'm trying, I'm trying, you know? <laughs> like, just repeat after me. I'm like, that's too easy. That's too easy. But um, because we're results driven, we want to force people to do what we do to make sure that we can check off the box that somebody had an experience. 
I want to tell you, authentically, God wants to lead us, right? He wants to lead us. And so the way that you pray in the Spirit is you recognize by the truth that he's enabled you to speak with new tongues. He's given you the ability. And then what you have to do, if you don't want to do it in front of someone, great, go home and get into your prayer closet. Okay, spend time with the Lord and then begin to pray out simple syllables and ask him to breathe on it. And if you're not willing to do that, I'm telling you, nothing is going to happen. I'm, I'm saying this to you honestly. If you're not willing to do that, nothing is going to happen. You have to be willing to go beyond the boundaries and the restrictions that you currently possess. And that is for you. You want him to do it for you. He's not going to do it. I mean, there are very few of us in the room where that happened. I mean, you hear that testimony where somebody fell on the ground and started going like, I, 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 you know, and you want that to happen to you to prove that it's God. And if it hasn't happened to you like that, it ain't going to happen like that. You say, how do I know? I've, I've, pray, I've perhaps prayed for thousands of people. I traveled around church after church after church, and I prayed for tons of people. And so many people were hurt because somebody forced them to pray a certain way after them, and then they just abandoned it altogether. Do you know how many testimonies there are for people that like have abandoned Pentecostalism because somebody forced them to do something that they were uncomfortable with? Yeah. Because we don't give people the space and the room to grow in their own relationship with God. And that's what I'm giving you tonight. And I believe that's good pastoring. So you're welcome. And here's what I want to say. If you don't pray in the spirit, if you do not pray with the heavenly language, you can. Paul said, I pray with tongues more than you all. Can you imagine me even saying that tonight? <laughs> I'm so glad I pray in tongues more than everybody here. Well, Paul said that to the Corinthian church. I don't even know how he got there, but he did. I don't know how you would have read that letter and thought, well, thanks, Paul. I just... But he said that. I believe everyone can, but you have to know that he's enabled you and you have to be willing to step beyond where you are. And if you can do that, I believe the Lord will release that in your life. And it'll be so simple. I, I guarantee you next week, you'll come up to me and you'll say, Pastor Ben, I did not think it was that easy. And I'll say to you, I know. I didn't think it was that easy. And then it's like a language. It grows and it develops. You begin to pray in the spirit. It goes from syllables to more into a language. And guess what? The Bible says we speak in tongues. It's plural. You might receive other languages, right? But I want to tell you, if we don't have a prayer life, it will not grow. It will not grow. We have to be people, men and women of prayer. And you got to start there. If you're not praying or if you don't have a life where that's extending and expanding in prayer, you got to start there. And as you go into your prayer closet and you ask the Holy Spirit to breathe on this and you're willing to take that step, watch, watch what he'll do. Come up to me next week. If it doesn't happen, uh, we'll pray for you. <laughs> so, and we'll say, but just keep going back to Jesus and he'll, he'll give you that. Thanks for listening today. Pastor Ben's mission is to equip the church to impact the world. If you want to get connected, Check the show notes and visit bendixon.org. From there, you can learn about Pastor Ben's other podcasts, the books he has written, Ignite Global Ministries, and the online Immersion Discipleship School. <laughs>